Welcome to another episode of the Toxic Google Podcast, where great minds meet. I'm Miss Strahl, bringing you this episode discussing the recently released film On the Basis of Sex, about the early life and career of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Toxic Google brings the world's most influential thinkers, creators, makers, and doers all to one place. Every episode of this podcast is taken from a video that can be seen at youtube.com slash talks at Google. This conversation with Googler Rachel Janowski includes Justin Thoreau, director Mimi Letter, and screenwriter Daniel Steepleman, who is RBG's real-life nephew. On the Basis of Sex is inspired by the true story of a young Ruth Bader Ginsburg, then a struggling attorney and a new mother, who faces adversity and numerous obstacles in her fight for equal rights throughout her career. When Ruth takes on a groundbreaking tax case with her husband, attorney Martin Ginsburg, she knows it could change the direction of her career and the way the courts view gender discrimination. The film also chronicles the storybook-like romance between Ruth and Marty, a partnership that succeeded both personally and professionally. Here is Justin Thoreau, Mimi Letter, and Daniel Steepleman on the basis of sex. Welcome. Please um, join me in welcoming our panelists today. Um, first, right here to my right, we have Mimi Leader. She's the director, um, has had a long, successful directorial career spanning decades with numerous TV shows, which I think you've heard of. Um, the Leftovers, Vanish, John Doe, ER, among them, and several film credits, um, including The Peacemaker and one of my personal favorites, Deep Impact. Um, then we have Justin Thoreau. Um, he plays Mel Wolf, who was then the head of the ACLU. Um, Justin's known for his work with David Lynch on Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire, and most recently seen as Kevin, Garvey, Kevin Garvey, excuse me, in HBO's The Leftovers, Tom in The Girl on the Train, and Dr. James Manoray on Netflix's The Maniac. Um, and then um, we have Daniel Steepleman. He is the film screenwriter and the real-life nephew to Justice Ginsburg. What a happy accident of birth. Exactly. Um, so I think uh, to start off with, I'd love to ask you, Mimi, um, how did you get involved with this project? Well, um, I was given the script by my manager, my agent, uh, John Levin, Robert Court, and uh, the, our producer, and Jonathan King, also our producer, president of Participant, sent me the script, and I immediately read it and felt that I had to do it. Yeah. I just felt like I really understood her, having, uh, you know, lived through a very, in a very, di in a different generation and in a different industry, you know, lived through a lot of discrimination and inequality and, you know, just had to fight the fight in, in, my, in my profession, in my world. And I felt a commonality with Ruth being um, a woman who's a mother, who's Jewish, who's been in a long-standing marriage and know what that takes. And I, you know, breaking the glass ceilings in our, in our own ways uh, for generations to come. And I just felt this is a story about a living icon, someone who I have, who did so much for, for the, our country and changed the world as well for all of us. And I just felt very lucky to have been able to direct this film. 
Wonderful. Well, we, we are, I, I got to see it earlier this weekend. Um, I think we're get lucky to get to watch it. it was, it's, it's fantastic, so you should all definitely check it out. Um, it'll be in theaters in Christmas. Um, so uh, for Daniel, how did, first, nephew to um, Justice Ginsburg, um, pretty exciting. Why is that um, always first? That's a, yeah. <laughs> first. Um, and, uh, you know, I think growing up, did you realize the impact that um, Justice Ginsburg was having sort of in, in the world and our country's laws, um, both as an attorney and a Supreme Court justice? Was that part of sort of the dialogue in your home or? Well, mostly I just found it confusing um, because, you know, I'm, I, I was born after all the events of this film. And so people would say, oh, that's your aunt. She changed the world. And I'm looking across like the Thanksgiving table and she's just very quietly, very slowly, <laughs> you know, eating her turkey dinner. And I'm going, her? Really? Because um, I had, you know, I had a, a vision in my head, I think like a lot of us, of what a feminist from the 70s was, right? As Gloria Steinem standing in front of a crowd, bringing everyone to their feet. And here's my quiet aunt, um, you know, who changed the world. And, and part of what I came to appreciate and understand from writing the movie is that, my voice is very loud, um, is that... Uh, is that you know sustainable change takes a Gloria Steinem to 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 shift the culture, and it takes a Ruth Bader Ginsburg to change the laws and the institutions. Yeah, um, you were you were quoted saying um, one of the great joys of writing the movie was that it felt like I got to really know her for the first time. So, what were some of the surprising things you discovered as you as you wrote the the screenplay, or as you sort of dug in and 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 put this together? Yeah, I mean, she's my aunt, but she's fifty years older than I am, right? So Marty was thirteen years older than my mom. My older brother's ten years older than I am. So, like, I grew up with her grandkids, um, and so you know, for me, like I said, she's 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 a very private person, and so to get that to. It's not that there was like, oh, what, this one thing that was so surprising. It's just, I mean, if you think about your, I assume everyone's relationships with your aunts and uncles, like you don't really sit for hours and talk about like, what did you and your husband fight about? And how did you make up? And what did you, you know, and, and, and you certainly probably never had to write a sex scene between them. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, so. There's so no detail there's, in that. <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, yeah, I got it. So we, we had a screening the other night in D.C., and, and uh, the moderator asked Ruth uh, how she felt about the sex scene, and she goes, Marty would have loved it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that just that nothing to do with the answer to your question, but it's really funny. Um, that is the answer. <laughs> um, you know, so it was just a matter of, of asking the hard questions. You know, for my wife and I, you know, when we got married, we very consciously said to each other, let's be like them, let's be Ruth and Marty. Um, so I was like on this stealth mission to figure out how did they build this marriage where they were, not only did they both have incredible careers, um, which I think is something we're getting better at these days, um, but they were also equal partners at home where they, they you know, Marty did all the cooking because Ruth was a god awful cook. Um, and, uh, but they shared the load of like getting food on the table and, and taking care of the kids and getting the kids to school every day and all that. Um, and statistically, uh, we still suck at that. Um, and so understanding how they how they pulled that off with such such confidence and love and mutual support was uh, was was the goal of writing the movie. Yeah. Speaking of that scene, the bedroom scene, why why was it important to include that scene in the movie? Um, why portray this yeah. aspect of her life specifically? Well, because everybody has made love since the beginning of time, and everyone's human and everyone makes love. And it was really important to show her as a real, authentic woman. And it was really interesting, though, not shooting the scene with Army and Felicity. It was cutting the scene that was, you know, 
made me had to think because you know I had you guys haven't seen the film but it's very tame it's not even really a love scene it's I mean it's 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 very tame and I had it far more risque you know I had her sitting on him and I mean it was it was it, they got into it a little and then I was in the editing room going oh no I don't know I don't know if RBG will like this. And, and, and you don't, her you never, nephew wouldn't have. Yeah. Right. He was like, no. And it was really interesting. So it was deeper and more contemporary than it is in the film. And then I just said, no, let's make this really simple. And, and But the point of the story is I'm at, we're at dinner after we showed it to her with this tame version. And her biographer, her official biographer went, oh my God, the sex scene. And I was like, and she goes, oh, it's just so much. And I said, Whoa. I was like, <laughs> I said, really? I said, you should have seen it before. <laughs> and then she said to her, well, what do you think, Ruth? And every, all eyes go to RBG. And, and she goes, I'm fine with it. <laughs> and it was really funny. Anyway. Um, for, for Justin, so I know you and Mimi have worked together before on The Leftovers, but how did you get involved with this project? Was it through your relationship with Mimi or through um, a different sort of avenue in? It was, I think, yeah, I mean, yes, Mimi sent me the script and said, you know, there's this part that I'd love for you to play and blah, blah, blah. So I said, of course. I mean, I read it and then, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Eventually. Good. Yeah. No, yeah. He didn't read, he just I just read yes. my parts <laughs> and then eventually. And it sound cool? So you read, you read your parts, sound great? Um, <laughs> And uh, you know, a lot of the characters that you've you've taken on have been sort of eccentric characters in different ways, but fictional characters. Mm. Um, what was it like playing someone who um, obviously is a, a real life person? Um, and um, how did you sort of prepare for the role and, and um, get to know Mel as a as a person? I, I I think of him as an eccentric character. I mean, he was a, an odd. I mean, duck kind of. We didn't have any source material on him really. There was no. You know, the Felicity and Army were able to look at photos and videos and, you know, hear audio recordings. We didn't have any of that. We sort of knew what his, you know, trajectory was in his career. Just, you know, there was sort of newspaper clippings of newspaper clippings. There was the Internet about him. Um, um, uh, so we, I got to play around a little bit more. But he was kind of a controversial figure at the ACLU. Uh, and I know you haven't seen the film, but he was a bit of a misogynist, even though he was very progressive and forward-leaning and, and um, taking on a lot of very important issues as it relates to sort of constitutional stuff, the First Amendment and some civil rights issues. But feminism wasn't really on his radar, at least advancing it through the ACLU. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't have just, I didn't have to do any sort of mimicry, you know, to because we couldn't find the guy, frankly. Right. Um, Justin funny. steals every scene in the movie. Oh, he does. That's, well, the ones he's in. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. He can, he can <laughs> do anything. Oh, my just stop God. showing up. <laughs> I guess for for um, uh, Daniel Mimi, how how true to life was the relationship that you portrayed between Ruth and Marty? And, and there's so much of it that are these sort of quiet moments of, of their domestic life, but then also them sort of pioneering together within the legal profession. And how much of that was really true exactly to, it's based on a true story, but. Um, well, I would say that, you know, um, the justice was very, worked very closely with Daniel. He can speak to that, that everything, she was a stickler on the law. And it was, you know, not being a family member, but just being a director and wanting to portray a, uh, a marriage that is longstanding and 
and a real equal partnership, I really understood that. And I really, you know, when you hire incredible actors, no matter how incredible you are, they are, you never know if it's really gonna work. Mm -hmm. You never know if the chemistry is gonna really hit. And it did. And a lot of the relationship is, I believe, really truly authentic in, in the feelings of love and equal partnership. And it was important to get the stuff in between the lines, the looks, the feels. Um, but the lines are pretty good too, right? Yeah, yeah. they're okay. <laughs> A lot of polishing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and, and Marty for that, like, <laughs> did bring her the case. And it was really important to all of us, and especially RBG, to, to tell the story the way it happened. Mm-hmm. And, and why, why did you specifically choose this period of her life um, to focus on in, in, for the film, for the screenplay? Um, because she's obviously had a, a, an enormous and impactful career across decades. Which was um, a point she made when I raised it with her, actually. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, I heard the story of this case uh, the first time uh, it was at my uncle's funeral. A friend of his got up and gave a eulogy in 2010, and he mentioned the only case that Ruth and Marty ever argued together. And it was like, wow, it's the two of them fighting in court for exactly what they figured out how to live at home, real equality. Um, and it was the first case she ever argued. Mm -hmm. And it was the first case to convince a federal court that women should be considered people under the U.S. Constitution, despite the fact that they argued it by representing a man. Um, so there's so much about the story that I just thought was fascinating. I thought, this would make a great movie. And then I thought, what kind of asshole am I? I'm sitting here at my uncle's funeral, mining his life for material. That's not like a thing you can do. Um, and so I was like, okay, clearly I can't write this. And I sat on it for over a year. Um, but then finally, I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And, and so I, I called Ruth and I said, you know, I, I'd like your permission, I'd love your help. And, and she raised the exact same point you did. I argued other cases, I argued bigger cases, I argued cases in front of the Supreme Court. But once I said, yeah, but this is the one that's about you and Marty, this is a movie about a marriage. Then she, well, I was gonna say she got excited, but what she actually said was, well, if that's how you wanna spend your time, so. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg for great enthusiasm. <laughs> Um, one of my uh, favorite scenes in the movie was the moot court scene um, in the home beforehand. Um, I thought it was a really great way to incorporate Polly Murray into the film as well, and um, uh, and you know her her sort of impact as a pioneer in the space is, um, too. Was this something that really happened? The, the moot court scene was this based on anything, or is this completely brought in to sort of show the dynamic and the preparation? No, at first I actually it was it was. It's, I agree. It's my favorite. It's my favorite scene in the movie. Um, but it came initially just out of like need as a writer, because what was happening in the first draft was, you know, like, you know, you're getting up to the end towards the third act, the end of the movie. You're building up to the climax in court. We'll see you in court. And then she goes marching into court, and then the whole movie has to stop to explain how federal court works. And it was just killing me on the page. It was, just, it was like <laughs> and tackling. Yeah, exactly. Like, Everyone like, would have gone. Like, and so what I finally figured out was, oh, if I could put in a moot court. 20 minutes earlier, I can teach the audience how this is all going to work so that by the time we get to the end, I don't have to stop to explain it all. Um, and so it's like it, initially it was just like a structural thing to teach the audience how to keep score during the final scene. Um, it's like in like it's like an Invictus, that movie about rugby where like they have to stop and explain how rugby works to the American <laughs> audience before they. Um, yeah. 
And so that's where it originally came from. And then out of that, it just kept all these more because there's so many characters there. Uh, Mel Wolf's there, you know, being a being a jerk um, in the most charming way possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and and Ruth and Marty are there, and there's it's a it's a I don't want to spoil the movie, but it's a huge turning point in the in the, in the film. Spoiler alert. Yeah, she gets on the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah. it, that's the moment she gets on the Supreme Court. Um, and so it's uh, it's it becomes this 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 sort of crucial moment because all of the main, all the main characters sort of reach a big turning point in their relationships uh, moving forward in, yeah. in the film. But it was made up. Yeah, but it was really important to the justice to um, have Polly Murray in the film mm -hmm. and Gerald Gunther, her teacher. And Polly Murray could do a movie just on her alone. And um, so in that way, it was paying tribute and honor to what they had achieved and done in the civil rights movement. I think there's something uh, to Ruth's credit that one of the, she didn't give me very many like big notes about how she wanted the movie to work, but the one that she gave me was, well, the two that she gave me were Marty, get Marty right. And, um, and she said, I just don't want people to think that I invented this area of the law as if it never occurred to anyone before me that women should be considered people under the 14th Amendment. Um, and, and she said, I built my career on the shoulders of women who came before me, like Dorothy Kenyon, like Pauli Murray, and people should know that. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that note? Um, <laughs> and so as you see in the film, Pauli, so Pauli's in that scene, and Dorothy Kenyon plays a big role, um, played by Kathy Bates, who's incredible. So I, one of the things I, I noticed a lot was the film portrays um, this really special relationship between mothers and daughters. Um, so there's a lot of, of Ruth with her daughter, um, with, with Jane, and, but then there's also glances of Ruth at her the, her mother's picture and sort of the, thought, the, the sentiments her mother had shared with her. And as you were developing sort of the dialogues that go on between um, Jane and Ruth in the film, are those some insights that um, Justice Ginsburg had, had shared with you or, or that potentially Jane had as you thought about them or are they sort of just crafted from sort of, a, a lot of them I could actually imagine myself my, myself and my mother sort of having some of those conversations at home, but Absolutely. Um, for the development side of it. Uh, no, I mean, the, none of the dialogue was, was real dialogue. Um, you know, it was taken based on research. I remember at one point, I said to my mom, I was like, oh, I'm having trouble figuring out how to write Jane. She goes, oh, that's easy. Just write Clara, who's Jane's daughter. And I was like, oh, I know how to do that. Because um, they're like a family of really strongly opinionated women uh, who do not hold back, um, uh, which is what we love about them uh, most of the time. And um, I, I, and I will say that right after we saw this, we had a screening for the family, and we went out for dinner, and Clara goes, Mom, is that what you were like when you were a teenager? And Jane tried to hedge, and she like hesitated for a second. And Ruth just busts in and goes, "Yes." Um, <laughs> you know, I think I think you know the, that that dynamic of of being a fighter and 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 how you learn it from your parents, but also you 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 can't like admit that to yourself that you got it from your parents. I can um, invite anyone to come up to the mics. I'll continue to ask some questions, but if you can make your way up there, if you have any questions. How is Justice Ginsburg doing these days with her ribs? She <laughs> She's better? fantastic. She has other ribs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> She's already back at work and back in the gym. So uh. Great, great. Good to hear. Uh, and second, with this nature of Hollywood coming out with sequels, is her life, I mean, so grand and so epic. Are we going to see a sequel on the base of Sex 2? <laughs> Well, I'm not writing it. <laughs> I mean, that's very interesting. I mean, I think the other film would be her relationship with uh, Justice Scalia. And I think that would be, that would be the one to make. a that's great the, story yeah. to tell. Yeah, it's pretty private. We All right, I, I got to go. I have to write that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Can't you. see the movie.
Thank you. That's a good answer, the Scalia answer. Thank you. Yeah. Hi. Um, I wanted to ask about just kind of the ongoing conversation socially and politically. Um, and I'm sure the creative process took quite a few years. And over those period of years, the conversation has really kind of grown as far as um, the women's rights with Me Too and whatnot. How did kind of the social escalation of all of these uh, issues either inform or weigh on your creative process? I, it was interesting when we were shooting it because you know all the uh, you know Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Smith, all those things were breaking literally around. So we were all sort of showing up on sets, going like, "Have you read that? Then or with this that?" Yeah, it just felt like there was this avalanche of things happening. It didn't really, or at least for no, me, or, it, didn't. it didn't really affect what we were doing as far as because um, the we already had our story in place. You know, we weren't really changing anything on the fly because some asshole, you know got into trouble, you know. Um, so we just sort of kept doing what we were doing. I mean, if anything, it sort of added to the, uh, you know, we weren't timing this movie with the, these movements, you know. Um, but it, uh, of course, you know, telling more stories about our life feels more relevant uh, in this time where we feel like we're taking enormous steps backwards, you know, or at least the last couple of years. I feel like it changes the experience as a viewer. Or yeah. I, I, like, because yeah. you know, when I wrote, when I started this movie in 2011, I started saying to people, oh, I'm going to write a movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And they'd be like, well, the biggest problem is nobody knows who Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. And it's like now, as you said, she's like this, she's become this pop icon. Um, and, and that all happened after the movie was written. Um, and so it, it's sort of my experience of, like, I thought I was writing the movie that was going to introduce the world to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then it becomes... Like, a to like for me now, what the movie feels like it's about in a lot of ways is, is it's still about how Ruth um, changed the country, but it's about how she changed the country. And like today, looking at it in 2018, it becomes about how she changed the country by convincing people who disagreed with her to agree with her rather than trying to destroy the people who disagreed with her. And that feels like now for me as a viewer, that feels like the poignant lesson of the movie is like there was a time when we didn't try to destroy each other. Um, and maybe we can get back to that if we are willing to like learn what Ruth has to teach us. Um, as you were doing some of the research or as you were putting together the film, was there anything that you learned about um, Justice Ginsburg that you, during the making, that you wanted to include in the film, but either she vetoed or didn't want or that you just couldn't fit in um, to the storyline? Well, I should say for the record, there was never a time that she ever said, oh, I don't want that in the movie. There was, I mean, the only reason she would do that is if the law is wrong or the way the law was practiced was wrong. Um, but she never once gave a note based on ego, which is, I think, really kind of incredible because she went through the, I, I sent her the script the first time and she's like, oh, Daniel, I'm in the middle of reading the Affordable Care Act. Can you call me back in 20 minutes? And I'm like, you know, okay. And, and then I, and then I 20 called, minutes? Yeah, exactly. She read it in 20 minutes? Oh, she was in the middle, so 40 minutes. And so, and so then I call her back and she's like, okay, Okay, page one, and then she goes through it like a contract, um, and she'll be like, literally, I mean, like the opening line of the screenplay is like a pair of heels amongst a sea of loafers, and she's like, here on page one, you have me wearing a pair of heels, but in those days, I used to walk to Harvard, and so I never would have worn heels in those days, and I'm like, and I was like, this is how this is gonna go, like, <laughs> buckle in, you know, like we're going. Um, and so, and then I, then I have to argue it with her, right? Because that's what you want to do is get into a, into a debate with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna win that. Man. Yeah, it's all, well, I did win that one. It's, <laughs> the heels are in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like it's orientation. It's They're a special day. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, but uh, and then we get to the, like scenes where she where she fumbles, 
And I'm going, oh no, what's she going to do? If this is, if we have to go 10 minutes on the heels, what are we going to do when we get to that? And she's like, and skip the next five pages. And I'm like, really? And she said, yeah. And I was like, well, because you kind of fumble over here. I don't know why I decided to negotiate against myself, but you kind of fumble over here. And she goes, and she goes, oh yeah, it has to be that way. It's more dramatic. And you're like, oh, okay, that's nice. Yeah. Um, speaking of the heels in the beginning, one of the things I thought was really poignant, but also really interesting in watching um, the film is how many moments... Um, and maybe it's maybe it's based on sort of like you mentioned this this last year of sort of the political discourse and the, and the conversation that's been heightened, um, but all of the moments where she's the only woman in either literally in the room or even in in the conversation um, from the opening scene to obviously the, the dean's remarks in Harvard, um, the elevator rides up to the interviews. Yes. I mean, just moment after moment throughout the film. Um, I assume that was intentional. Very intentional. <laughs> Spotted, um, and it worked really. Well. There were nine women. I would only put maybe one or two in the same frame because in a sea of men, they would be just little dots on a map. Right. Um, the, uh, the dinner party that yes. um, is hosted, was that um, uh, something pulled? Uh, was the dinner party hosted by um, the dean of Harvard for the, yes. the ladies? as he called them, who had been accepted um, that year and, and, quote, taken the spots from men. Yes. Um, was that, is that sort of verbatim as how verbatim. it went? It is exactly. I have been accused of being heavy-handed in writing that really? scene because no, people are like, clearly that couldn't have happened. I'm like, no, that's exactly how that went down. The only thing different from how it happened was <clears throat> we put it at a dining room table. And from what I can gather, what we can gather, it was in a room where they were small sitting, tables. Yeah. Small table, but it felt more. The visual felt stronger to put it at a table, because she dropped the ashtray in real, in reality. It just felt better to drop it off a dining room table where people are smoking while you're eating, which <laughs> doesn't. This is the fifties. Yeah, the very fifties. Please. Pointing out that you're. Oh, thank you. Yes, please. Hi. Um, thank you. I'd love to hear a bit about the casting process and finding the perfect person to portray uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Well, so we had a list of women who could play RBG, and I kept focusing on Felicity Jones. I kept looking at the young RBG pictures and Felicity, and I felt there was a striking resemblance. And Felicity has a really deep, deep inner life from what I've seen in her work, and I felt that she could, it was just instinct. You have instinct. You have to go on your instincts when you're casting, because you never really know. Uh, sometimes you, like I knew Justin actually could just inhabit this guy. And we don't often see Justin be this person. In fact, I've never seen you be this person. Yeah. So I didn't know he could actually do it, but I, I knew he could, if you know what I mean. I had not seen it before. But I knew he was the right guy, and beautifully, beautifully performed. But you know, finding the you know Felicity Jones was a was a big key, and we sent her the script on a Thursday to in London, and then she replied on Monday with a yes, which is very rare in our business. And, you know, it takes months for someone to read and someone to agree to something. And she immediately agreed to it. And then there was Army Hammer, who I have never seen do this kind of role either, but I had a, a real desire and hunch that he did, 
that he had it in him because I always thought he was charming and and he he never really played a guy like this um, and he's the only one I wanted it was like I was at the agency and they had you go through this process where the agents show you oh, it's horrible to say this in front of an actor um, <laughs> I know what happened it's not like, what, what happened to me you're in this room where they give you all these pictures and resumes you have your own list anyway and you go through them and and no no yes <laughs> it's like it's horrible to but i i just knew that army couldn't inhabit this character and bring his unique charm and wit to it and i also love the height difference uh and I thought that was really Which was accurate. Yeah, because yeah. Marty was tall and Ruth is a little tiny, beautiful woman. And I really love the idea of this kind of frame, which is really hard to do, um, and which goes to picking the format of how you shoot something. So this was shot in 185. And 235 is a much short, you know, shorter frame and stretched out. And with such a tall person and such a shorter person, you want a, a ratio that's like this. And also to fit the Supreme Court in a shot. And how far to back do you put your camera to get this wide shot? Well, when, in format 185, you can do it. I, I don't know if that's interesting, but... <laughs> Extremely. Thank you. Like Thank you. Know. And I, I just want to add, because I've known Ruth and Martin Ginsburg for a very long time, that their portrayals of my aunt and uncle are uncanny. It's really kind of freaky. A final question for you all. So um, the film portrays Ruth as, uh, as herself, obviously, and as a working mother who can kind of do it all. She's top of her class at Harvard. She's attending her courses and her husband's courses. Um, she's caring for her husband during his illness. Um, she's raising two children. She's working a full-time job as a professor. And in her you know, spare time, <laughs> uh, she sets in motion changes that are really sort of reshaping you know, women's rights and human rights. Um, what is the message that you're hoping that, particularly any viewers, but particularly women and girls, are taking away from this film um, after they watch it? Well, I hope that women and, and particularly young women take away that they can do anything. Women can do anything. And um, that you use your voice to, to make this world a better place. I... Go for it. I was going to say, one of the things that I like so much about, I don't know what, you know, I hope people take away, obviously, a, a sort of a renewed or first time or whatever interest in her life and and, uh, and obviously all the things she went on to do. One of the things I really liked about this, just as a woman in a film, you know, as a lead in a film, is that, you know, oftentimes mothers and or professionals are portrayed as sort of like, you know, I'm a working mom, but can't get work right, you know, or like, but I can't get mothering, you know, like mothering is, well, there's just always like a, a, a give and a take, you know, it's like, like, like it's a career is great, but you know, at home it's a mess and, you know, or, or home's great and work's a mess. And Ruth really didn't really have, you know, she just really did everything really well and just by dint of extremely hard work. Um, so there, I just, it was, I haven't really seen that represented so beautifully, you know, uh, in a film before, so people take away her work ethic. And also the fact that she she's not she hasn't just done an enormous amount. These are not things that can be undone, the things she's done. You know, when you create uh, strong case law, you know, that's not a, a, a plant you can just unpluck and you know throw away. You know, it's it's that's there for good, you know, and she did made a lot of very extremely permanent changes 
uh, in our country. Yeah. May I just add one thing? Before? Of course. I just wanted to add that, yep. you know, she didn't do it alone. You know, she did it, it That with was Marty. my thing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to leave that out. But, you know. Interrupt and steal your thing. That was, uh, <laughs> go on. All right, you say it. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not doing that. Go for it. <laughs> Don't slip on that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, that they had an equal partnership that was a real metaphor for the film and that you, you know, that, that love and family are, and, you know, are the most important thing in, in life is connectivity and how you share your life and the choices you make um, in choosing the people you love and that love you. Very important. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I kind of, with all respect, disagree with the, the formulation of the question. It's not that Ruth did all those things. Ruth and Marty did all those things. Um, and I can tell you as a guy from experience, the bar to be considered a supportive father and a supportive husband and a good father is like incredibly low. Like I like take my kids to school every day and people are like, you're the best father in the world. Meanwhile, my wife's curing cancer and is made to feel guilty that she's not like baking for bake sales. Um, and so, you know, I just feel like, I hope that that's a walk away from the film is that, you know, my wife and I were so benefited from having Ruth and Marty as our role models for what a marriage can be. Um, that, you know, part of the reason for writing this is I realized I was in this privileged position to share that with other people. So if nothing else, the movie is a, is a great date movie, if only as a barometer, so that, like, if you walk out of the theater and the guy's like, that guy couldn't exist, like, just run away. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Right. It was. Well, it is a beautiful love story. Um, and then also, you know, adding on the sort of um, monumentous changes that she, with others, um, helped to um, put for our country's laws is pretty incredible. So yeah. thank, thank you all for coming here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have any feedback about this or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can visit g.co slash talks at Google slash podcast feedback to leave your comments. To discover more amazing content, you can always find us online at youtube.com slash talks at Google or via our Twitter handle at Google Talks. Talk soon.